tremendous. Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 11 as we continue our series, Led by Fire. If you're new with us, uh, man, we've been going through uh, the book of Exodus and really tracking along with the life of Moses as we see the Lord uh, call Moses to do something that was so far beyond him, so, so outside of the box, so far from his, his comfort zone, something that, that he really, really didn't even want to do. He's like, can you just send anybody else to do this? But as Moses takes steps of obedience, the Lord does through the life of Moses things that no man could ever do on his or her own. As we're going to see today, not only does the Lord use Moses to set the nation of Israel free from captivity in Egypt, but he literally begins to lead them by fire. And I just believe this is such a a critical series, such a critical topic for us today. As we've talked about, the nation of Israel was in crisis. The nation of Israel was in the darkest season in their national history. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of hardship, the Lord shows up in profound ways and and God leads them, God guides them, God rescues them. In the same way as we navigate these days with division at every turn, as we navigate a new landscape in our financial market, as we we navigate a new landscape in the world as we know it, the same God that met them is the same God that desires to meet you. The same God that led them is the same God that desires to lead you. The same God that reached out his mighty hand and performed acts of miracles that, that no human could ever explain is the same God that desires to show up in miraculous ways in your life, in my life, in the life of our church, the same God desires to lead you and me by fire. And so today we come to Exodus chapter 11, 12, and 13. And I would just say beyond the creation account, apart from the creation account in Genesis, I believe we come to what is the most prolific, the most profound text in all of the Old Testament. More important than Noah and the ark, more important than David versus Goliath, more important than Daniel in the lion's den is the text that we're going to be reading today. And the reason why is because whenever we come to this account in Exodus, we see God not only deliver the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt, but what we read in Exodus chapter 11, 12, and 13 is what scholars refer to as a typology. A typology is a term uh, that we use in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament picture of who Christ will be, of what Christ will do in our lives, present tense, today. In this way, you know, this text that we look at is the most profound, the most powerful Old Testament scripture. It explains on a fundamental level who Christ is, what Christ has done for you, what Christ has done for me. And if we don't understand the gospel really at that elementary level, then we have no motivation uh, to tell a watching world about the good news, about the rescue plan of God. We'll have no motivation to really live a life fully surrendered to him because we'll miss what he has already done for us. Whenever it comes to a typology, if you've ever, uh, to help us better understand that, if you've ever helped a child uh, learn to read, uh, maybe you've seen some of these, these books, they'll have like a letter on one side, so A on one side and an apple on the other side. So it's a letter and a picture combined to help create some some understanding. Uh, That's essentially what Old Testament typology is. It paints a picture for us. We read it in letter form, but it paints a picture for us to better understand in theological terms just what is taking place and the ramifications of it, not only in Exodus, but also in the New Testament. And as we're going to see in heaven for all of eternity. 
And Exodus is that type of typology. And I would just say this to you, if you're, if you're fairly new to church, maybe this is your first time ever in church or, or even here at Central, uh, I would say, man, just a few years ago, I probably wouldn't touch this text on a Sunday morning uh, because it is kind of deep into the pool stuff. And so if you're here with someone, this is your first time, you're probably going to have some questions uh, coming out of this message. And I just encourage you to talk to whoever, whoever invited you, and I'd be happy to unpack some more of it today. Uh, but, but the sad reality is, probably for, true for me a few years ago, I'm not taking shots at any, any pulpit, but for me, I would probably say I would keep theology at an elementary term, and that is in the sense of God loves you, God cares for you, God has a plan for you, which is all true, and that's all good. Uh, but I think for us to really put down some deeper roots, uh, to really have a, a richer understanding of just what it is that Jesus has done for you, just the ramifications of that, Sometimes it's healthy for us to tiptoe into the deep end. And so today is going to require some more, more critical thinking. We're going to be looking at some, some theological content that will probably raise some questions. So we're going to look at three pictures. So typology is really a, a picture. So three pictures that we're going to look at that we see displayed in Exodus, but now find fulfillment in our life today. So if you're taking notes, this is where they, this is where they begin. Uh, the first is this. We see the plagues. There's 10 plagues that take place in Exodus. And the plagues are really a picture, a typology of judgment. Why don't we stand to our feet as we read this, this first verse today in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. If nothing else, it'll allow us to stretch a little bit, get the blood flowing. So in honor of God's word, why don't you stand to your feet with me? And uh, whenever we get to these uh, emboldened words, we can go ahead and pull it up. When we get to the orange letter words, why don't you read those out loud with me, really loud, really proud. Here we go. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, from here, and when he does, he will die the feet. Now you might remember there's been nine plagues so far. Uh, nine plagues that have grown in progression, grown in intensity. When we come to Exodus chapter 11, the nation of Israel, the land is literally ruined from all these plagues, all this devastation. And the whole point of all these plagues was to get Pharaoh to let God's people go. We see that over and over. Let my people go. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. And now we come to the 10th plague, and he says, not only will he let you go, but he's about to drive you out. The Lord is about to bring freedom to his people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that it's alive and it's active. So God, I pray that you grant us a spirit of understanding, a spirit of wisdom, to deeply understand this picture that you've painted for us in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament, and we see it in heaven that we eagerly await. So God, would you open our eyes to understand that today in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you see it, I want you to turn to someone and say, hey, I'm so thankful I'm sitting next to you today. I'm so thankful I'm sitting next to you. All right, Exodus chapter 11, verse 4, it picks up with this and it lays out for us what this 10th plague will be. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. The firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at the handmill, all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than it has ever been or ever will be again. Now, oftentimes we can just read through that and lose some of the ramifications of what's taking place here. 
There is so much that hangs in the balance of one man's decision. So much hangs in the balance of Pharaoh's decision to let people go or to continue to hold them in captivity. But, but think about the reality of this. If we were to wake up tomorrow and in the Bay Area, every firstborn male was gone. It will say later, we'll read later, that, that there was not one house in all of Egypt that wasn't impacted. I mean, the, the devastation, the sorrow, the grief, the confusion of this fateful morning. Goes on to say, but among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at a man or animal. Then you will know that I, the Lord, make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me saying, go, get out of here, you and all your people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. You might be thinking, why the firstborn? Like, like, what's up with that? Uh, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, we see uh, whenever Moses is born, Pharaoh's currently killing all the firstborn males of God's people, of the Israelites. But, uh, but the Lord actually lays out why he, he does this. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, uh, this is before Moses went to Egypt. He says, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I tell you, let him go. Let my son go so he may worship me. If you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. In that sense, all of the nine plagues leading up to this tenth plagues are warnings. Warnings of certain judgment. God takes no delight in this. I don't think it's God's heart to say, hey, I want to, I want to kill all the firstborn sons. I don't think that's his heart. His, his heart is always to get people to turn. His heart is always to get people to repent, to say, say, hey, I was wrong. I was doing things my own way. I'm turning to you. I'll do things your way. That's just still his heart today. Ezekiel 18.23, the Lord just reminds us, the Lord doesn't take any delight in the death of the wicked. He says, he says, do you think I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. That's his heart. That's what he desires. He would rather a million times over people turn. He would a million times over rather people uh, turn, for, repent from their, their wicked ways and turn to him. But if they choose not to, there is a certain judgment. And while judgment is going to fall on all of Egypt, I think it's also important for us to note that if the nation of Israel does not follow God's very clearly prescribed plan, they too would face judgment. Look at it in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, uh, go at once and select animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a branch of hyssop, that's a, a, like a weed with long uh, leaves, and dip it into the blood of the basin and put it some blood on the top of your door on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes throughout the land to strike down the Egyptians, check this out, he will see the blood. On the tops and the sides of the door frame, he will pass over that door. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your house or strike you down. In other words, if they don't do this, the death angel would strike them down. Judgment would fall on them as well if they don't do what the Lord is asking them to do. So this is very serious. The stakes are, are very high. Not only is judgment going to come to Egypt, but judgment perhaps would come to Israel if they don't slaughter this lamb. If they don't have this Passover lamb, then judgment would pass over, over them. It reminds us that 
Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. It's, it's a picture of what he has done for us. In order for people to escape judgment, there has to be a shedding of blood. It's really a picture of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It's important for you to hear that. It's important for people today to hear that. We can't be, there's no good people. No one's good enough to earn their way into heaven. The Bible's clear, like there, there's got to be a sacrifice. We've sinned, we've fallen short, and therefore we have to do something with our sin problem. And that's a good question to wrestle with, like what are you going to do with your sin problem? Because all of us have to wrestle with that. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for a man to die once, and after that, the judgment. That's a hard truth. That's a shocking truth. But it's a truth for us to wrestle with. It's important for everyone in the room, everyone watching online, everyone listening to this podcast to know that, that that I have an appointment. There's coming a day when I will die. You have an appointment. And and unless you're covered by the blood of the lamb, unless you've experienced the forgiveness, the radical grace of God, then there is judgment to come. You say, well, what is that like? Like, what is, how, how do you know that? Revelation, so this is John, he gets this vision of heaven, he gets a vision of, of what's going to take place at the end times, and, and, and he says this, he starts by saying, he said, heaven and earth it ran from his, from his presence, it's like the, the deconstructing of earth as we know it, and he's going to rebuild, he's going to create a new heaven, new earth, but, but like the earth and sky vanished from his presence, then in verse 12 it says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. It lets you know that every, every man, every woman, there, there, there's a book that, that has a ledger of what you've done, a documentation. There's an account. There's a case file with your name on it. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, on that day, A man will give an account for every careless word he has spoken. I mean, the big things, the small things, the little things, the the things that haunt you at night and the things that you've already forgotten about, there's a ledger. And on that day, there will not be a man, there will not be a woman who says, this is not right, this is unfair. The books will be open. The evidence will be very clear. And that's why there has to be a shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin unless the nation of Israel covers her doorpost with the blood of the lamb. This would be very public. It would be very obvious to everyone around them if they're, they're practicing the ways that God has prescribed or not. In the same way, our sins must be covered by the blood of the lamb to remove our sins. Once we've had our, our sins covered, then we can enjoy relationship with God. That's where we experience God's presence. That's where we experience God's peace. That's where we experience radical grace. And, and we live with a, a holy boldness. That's where we experience God's miracle working power in our life. But all that takes place whenever we know God. And if we don't, it's just important for us to know that there is a day of judgment coming. And the plagues represent that. So the first picture we see is, is the plagues. Uh, it's very clearly laid out. It's a picture of judgment. Second picture we see is the Passover lamb. As we read about this Passover lamb in Exodus, it's really a picture for us of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Tell the whole community of Israel on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. 
Check this out. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community must slaughter them at twilight. Now, I want you to think about this. If you've you've ever been around kids or you were a kid, which is pretty much all of us, um, (laughs) if you bring a baby animal into the house, like, I don't care if it's four days or 44 days, like, what happens? Like, you're attached to that thing. You bring, a baby, you bring a baby lamb into my house, like Elsie's combing her hair, like we got five different names, there's bows, like they're painting the nails, like it's, it's on, like they're attached to this animal, right? They love it. They love the animal. They care for it. And then four days later, they're commanded to slaughter it. And certainly children would be asking, why? Why would you do that? Parents probably wondering why. And it introduces to us the reality that there is sorrow with sacrifice, that there is sadness attached to sacrifice. It's a very vivid lesson that it re- sin requires the loss of life. Exodus chapter 12, 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Verse 12, on that same night, I will pass throughout Egypt and strike down Every firstborn, both man and animals, I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. In other words, it's a sign for the people living in the house. It's a sign for the people in the neighborhood. It's a sign uh, not only to them, but also to, to the Lord. And when I see the blood, this is the Lord. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is where we get the Passover term. This is why Jewish people still today celebrate this historic, monumental event in Israel's history when the Lord passed judgment over the nation of Israel. No, devastate, no destructive plague will touch them when I strike Egypt. When you and I apply the blood to our lives, judgment passes over to God's wrath is satisfied. It will not touch you. That's why Jesus is the spotless lamb of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 21, let's jump to the New Testament. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned, spotless, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. How are you and I made right? Well, also required sacrifice. It's only through Jesus that people can be made right with God. Christianity in that sense is very exclusive. There are not 50 ways to heaven There's only one way, and the Bible is clear, that is through Jesus only. On the other hand, the offer of salvation is very inclusive. 1 John 29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Chris Ferraro only. No, like everyone. Like, Like the sins of the world, right? In that sense, the door's wide open. Very inclusive. John 1.35, the following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. And Jesus steps into humanity and he does for you what you could never do on your own. Paul makes this connection even more vividly in 1 Corinthians 5.7. Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. 1 Peter 1.18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. 
In other words, uh, no amount of, of giving could, could make up for your sin. No amount of generosity or finances, no amount of good works could ever redeem you from the empty way of life. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you see it? This picture of what we see in Exodus now finds fulfillment in Christ. Why did the Passover lamb have to be perfect? Why did it have to be without defect? Because it was pointing to a greater picture. It was pointing to a greater reality that now rescues you and me. I don't want to get too technical here, but it was on the 10th day of the month that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Just before Passover, Jesus, the lamb of God, is examined. Five times Pontius Pilate says, I find no fault in him. He was spotless. He was perfect. At the time of evening sacrifice at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he cries out, it's finished. The lamb was sacrificed. He dies that if you and I, we put our faith in him, we too might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from judgment for sure but also saved from another day without his presence in our life. It's his shed blood. It's the perfect sacrifice that opens up a way for you and I to know God. That's why the old timers would sing that song, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm a broken dude, but what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They would go on, oh, how precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. What can make me Whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1.7 says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from the big sins. No, the, the, the precious blood of Jesus it cleanses us from some sin. No, it cleanses us from, from all sin. Just as God's judgment is thorough, so is his forgiveness. Cleanses you from all sin. Theologians use the term expiates. It expiates our sin. In other words, it removes. It's gone. You can't find it. The case file, the books that would be stacked against you as evidence have been deleted. They've been erased. Your sins have been expunged. How thoroughly? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin and your transgressions from us. How does that take place? Only through the blood of Jesus. If you don't understand that, then you and I, we can agonize over past sin that God never intended for us to. If you and I don't understand just how thoroughly you have been forgiven, then we can continue to beat ourselves up and live stuck in a place of life that God doesn't want you to live. And for some of you, perhaps the most spiritual thing you can do this week is try to imitate God in the sense that just as he's forgiven you of all sins, maybe you can take a step towards that and forgive yourself of all sins as well. It's difficult for us really to grasp just the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us in our fallen nature. It's difficult for us to really, just to get a, an image of just the radical salvation, the radical grace of God extended into your life, extended into my life. And if we don't really get a picture of that, then we certainly won't be motivated to, to tell other people the good news that they, there's a, there is judgment, but, but you don't have to experience it. But not only that, but we, we'll live life from a very selfish posture when we realize he who gave it all cost him immensely. And the only proper response is to live a life that says, God, I'm all in with you. You gave your life for me, I'll give my life for you. But we get a picture of this again in Revelation as John uh, gets this vision of, of heaven. He says this in chapter five, verse five, 
He says, then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. It's important for you to remember that Jesus is not just a suffering servant. He's not just the sacrificial lamb, but he is also a conquering king. He is also described as the lion, a fierce, victorious lion. But he is also the lamb. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as though he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. He came to me, he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a, a harp and were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Which just a pause right there. Isn't it nice to know that your prayers is like a fragrant aroma in the throne of heaven. Like, like whenever you worship God, it comes before the throne. It's like a fragrant incense. Your prayers before God. And they sang a song. And here's the song they sang. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And how, 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 how they, was the rescue mission? With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. How, how do we experience radical grace? How do we experience salvation? It's this eruptus celebration in heaven and they point back not only to what God did in Exodus, but what God did in the New Testament. And it's the, the blood of the lamb that purchased men. And it's not just for the U.S. It's not just for Central Christian Church. Every tribe, every nation, all people there before the throne. Verse 10 says, you made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they sang in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. What we're studying today in Exodus gives us a picture not only what took place back then, but what Jesus did for you and for me. And, and one day we'll be celebrating for all of eternity the reality of what the Lamb of God has done for you and for me. That's worth celebrating. For those who choose not to be covered by the blood of the Lamb, those who did not do as prescribed, in Exodus, we read this in Exodus 12, 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner, all in the dungeon, the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials, all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt and there was not a house with someone dead. There was not a house without someone dead. Can you imagine that? It just speaks to the thoroughness of God's judgment. Every household that wasn't covered by the blood experienced it. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave, get your people, the Israelites, get out of here. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and go. And also bless me. 
which is just interesting at this point in the story. Like Pharaoh's heart is so self-centered, so self-consumed. His son's just died, and he's like, hey, don't forget, hook me up too. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry up and leave the country. Otherwise, they said, we will all die. How important was the Passover lamb? It's essential to avoid judgment. It's a picture for you and me of the importance of Christ, the urgency to tell a watching world of what God has done. It's important for us to know there is a day of judgment. It's important for you to know that you don't have to experience judgment because of what Jesus has done. And once you are free from judgment, once you've embraced the lamb, your life's been covered with the blood, then the third picture we see is a picture of the journey. The pillar of fire is a picture of our journey. It's the middle of the night. Pharaoh says, hey, you get the nation of Israel. You get out of here. Like, get what you want, whatever. And they they plunder all of Egypt. It says that they're they're loaded down with the gold of the Egyptians. So the, the land's devastated. Now this pagan nation is loading them down with all their earthly wealth and possessions. And the Lord begins to lead them with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. It's this image of once you are saved, once you begin your journey with Jesus, how the Lord leads you, how the Lord desires to go before you, how the Lord desires to always be working upstream from you. Exodus 13, 21, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or they could travel by night. This is amazing. It's vital for the nation of Israel to be able to travel around the clock. Uh, one, because they're in the middle of a desert in Egypt and it's excruciatingly hot. And we, we think it was hot this week in San Jose. Like, like they, they're in Egypt, they're about to be in the Arabian desert. It is, it is cooking over there. And so the Lord provides them shade by day so they can travel. If they wanna avoid the heat of the day, they wanna travel at night, he provides a pillar of fire. And it's interesting for you to know, for me to note, that the, the Lord's always ahead of them. The Lord's always leading them. He's always going before them. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. I want to close with three benefits of being led by fire, three benefits of practicing the ways of Jesus, three benefits of allowing his presence to guide you. The first benefit is this guidance. That's probably the most obvious. The Lord desires to, to guide you, to lead you. That's why we say around here, uh, before we, all those people, all 24 people, before they got baptized, I said, ask the question, have you, de- have you decided to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life? We're, we're happy to make Jesus the forgiver of our life. Many people are reluctant to make him the leader. But that's what being a follower of Jesus means. You can't follow someone who's not leading in front of you. And it comes to this place, this posture. That's what we talked about week one. The, the first principle of, of being led by fire is just come to this place where I say, God, here's my life. H- have your way. And as you do, one of the magnificent benefits, one of the most encouraging realities is that God desires to lead you. Nehemiah 9.12 is recounting what takes place in this Exodus story. And he says, by day you led them with a pillar of cloud, by night a pillar of fire, check this out, to give them light on the way they were to take. He's guiding them. 
One of the benefits of being led by fire is he wants to direct you in good things. I love what Richard shared a couple weeks ago. You know, whenever we, we see our circumstances and we, we can get to this place where we are dissatisfied. But I love what he said. He said, if you knew what the Lord knew, you'd want what the Lord's doing. That's profound. And that's important for us to remember as we desire to be people led by fire. It's also important to you know that, that God will direct your steps. One of my favorite passages, Psalm 37, 23, says the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He's leading them. He's directing them. He directs the steps of the godly. And check this out. He delights in the details of your life. The big things, the small things, the things that you don't even care about. He, the Bible says he delights in those. It's a wonderful benefit of letting God lead your life. Second benefit is provision. Exodus 12, 37, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. And there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Uh, Some scholars estimate that the average household at this time were about five kids, so seven in a family. And so that would put this number close to six million people. A conservative number that scholars are willing to put out there is two million people. This is not a small group just going on a hike through the desert. Two million people. And I want you to think about that reality, how the Lord provides for them. Four million, uh, two million people require four million pounds of food each day. To give some perspective to that, they would need three freight trains one mile long filled with food, filled with provisions. They would need 11 million gallons of water each day. That would be a freight train with 334 tanker cars. And some people say, you really believe that? And I say, absolutely. And if you doubt that, then you've not seen God display his power in your life to the degree that he desires to. The God who provided for them is the same God that wants to provide for you. The same God that led them is the same God that wants to lead you. And one of the incredible, miraculous benefits of being a follower of Jesus, of practicing the ways of Jesus, is that he always provides. Might not provide in the way you think he would, might not provide in the timing you think he should. I love what the psalmist said. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsake. He said, I was, I was young and, and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Why? Because the Lord always provides. If you remember our study through Philippians, uh, the Philippian church had sent offerings to Paul as he's in prison in Rome. And, and Paul says this, and I love this in Philippians 4.19, and the same God, the same God that provided for Israel, the same God who provided time and time again when God's people were in need, the same God who takes care of all my needs will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches which shall be given to us in Christ Jesus. The Lord provides. The third benefit, final benefit, protection. This is just a sneak peek of what we're going to look at next week. As we see the Lord deliver the nation of Israel and bring freedom. Exodus 14.10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. That's an important line. They cried out to the Lord. Verse 19, then the angel of God, this is Jesus, who had been traveling in front of the Israelite army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Check this out. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side 
and light to the other side. So neither went near each other all night long. Supernatural protection. He provides supernatural guidance, a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He provides supernatural provisions in their life in the middle of the wilderness, millions of pounds of food, 11 million gallons of water a day. God in the middle of a desert. And now supernatural protection. It's interesting. He says he, to one side he, was, he brought darkness. To the other side he brought light. And isn't that true for you? Isn't that true for us in the day we live? To some, Jesus brings love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. To another side, who choose to reject him, he'll bring devastation and darkness to a degree that's impossible to articulate. But one of the benefits of practicing the ways of Jesus is he will provide supernatural protection. As we come to our close, I just want to ask you, do you, do you see these pictures? plagues representing judgment, the lamb representing Jesus, the pillar of fire representing your journey. And perhaps more important or just as important as seeing those pictures is do you see yourself in those pictures? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, do you begin to get a sense that there is coming a day of judgment where men will give an account for everything we've ever done? If you're like me, that's, that list is pretty long. I won't have, you won't have, no one will have a case to say, no, no, wait, wait, what, what about this? The books will be open. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you realize what Jesus has rescued you from? Aren't you thankful your case files erased? Aren't you thankful your sins have been expunged? Aren't you thankful that you've been forgiven as far as the East is from the West? How's that take place? Because of a lamb. The Bible points to that being Jesus. The fulfillment of everything in your Old Testament takes place right here. This picture of Jesus. You see yourself there. Living a life that says, man, God, you're, you're worthy of it all. And then pillar of fire representing your journey. Aren't you grateful that Jesus sets us free? But he doesn't just set us free. He desires to lead us. He desires to guide us. Desires to bring guidance, provision, and protection as you practice the ways of Jesus, that he might continue to lead you by fire. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you for your word and just the depth and richness as you've authored history. And now, God, you allow us to play a part in that. And we're just so grateful for that. We're so grateful for what you've done. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for rescue mission. Thanks for salvation. Thanks for forgiveness. And God, our only proper response is to say, God, here's my life. You can have it all. So maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but you know you've lost some focus there. And you hear today of what Jesus has done for you. And I would just encourage you today to just go back to that posture that says, God, out of a heart that's so grateful, think about what you've done for me. I just want to recommit myself to letting you lead. You're not just going to be the forgiver of my life. God, I want to make you the leader of my life. It's awesome. There's all the benefits of that. But God, beyond the benefits, I just want you. It's right where you are. Would you just make that declaration to God? Say, God, I'm all in again. You lead, I'll follow. 
A lot of times I might not understand it, but God, I'm going to let you call the shots. Maybe you're here and you've not yet committed your life to Jesus. The reality of your current situation is that the Bible says that you are under judgment right now even. But you don't have to be a day longer. That's why so often we use the term saved, not just saved from judgment to come, although that's real, but another day without his presence. And the way that you take hold of that, the way you experience salvation is by understanding that what Jesus did on the cross for you, he lifted the sin, the weight of your sin off your shoulder, your account, your file, and he placed it on Christ. And that's why Jesus' execution was so excruciating because your sin required it. My sin required it. We've broken eternal commands that require eternal judgment. But today you can experience freedom from all of that. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's a free gift that's open to you. The way you take hold of that is by believing what Jesus did on the cross, pays the penalty for your sin, and believing that he rose again. And then you demonstrate that belief by confessing that with your mouth, going public with your faith, and getting baptized marks a new day. If that's where you're at, it'd be my joy to help you connect with God in that way. Just talk to him, say a prayer like this. Say, God, I realize I've blown it. And not only have I let myself down, but I've let you down. And I realize, God, my sin has separated me from you. But God, I see today, I hear today very vividly what Jesus has done for me, how he was sacrificed on my behalf so I can see judgment pass over my life. I believe that. So God, just as you gave your life for me today, this is me giving my life to you. Be the leader and the forgiver of my life today, I pray. And help me face the challenges I'm up against. That was your prayer today. Man, I would be my joy before we leave to, to pray for you. So as you continue in a posture of prayer, just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you before we get out of here. I'd love to pray for you before we, before we get it. All right, Jesus, you see those reaching out to you today. Pray, God, you'd fill them afresh with your spirit, that, God, you'd cleanse them of a guilty conscience, that they'd feel the weight of their sin and their guilt lifted off their shoulders, that, Jesus, you'd give them courageous faith to take steps towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give it up for those people that made that spiritual commitment.